Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it fun and easy. You're invited to sign up to my free New Me workshop. Change your mindset to healthy living in five days. Get to the bottom of those I can't do it thoughts and transform them into wow, it's so easy and fun. You can sign up at drorlina.com slash new me. That's doctor, D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new line in the middle, me. Hello and welcome. I hope you are all doing amazingly today. We have a real treat for you today. We are talking heart disease and specifically all the things that we can do to reduce our risk of getting heart disease. We have a really special guest called Dr. Zarin Chafe. She is currently a practicing cardiologist, a consultant cardiologist in London, the UK. She has a PhD in sleep, looking at the connection between sleep and heart disease and respiratory disease. She has an abundance of experience and knowledge, and I got to pick her brains. And even more excitingly, she is on the brink of starting a totally new career. And she is going to stop being a consultant cardiologist, and she is going to start focusing on prevention and teaching people how to lead a life so that they can manage their heart disease or avoid getting heart disease in the first place through lifestyle. And believe me, I know that it is really difficult and really scary to give up a well-paying job and a prestigious well-paying job and take that leap into the world of creating something totally different. And I really see this as a sign that things are changing, that we are as a society, beginning to focus more on preventative measures than putting a plaster on what has gone wrong. Today's big message that I want you to take home from this podcast is what you do matters. Lifestyle and diet make a huge impact on your risk factor for getting heart disease. And it starts with you. It is in your hands. Let's dive right in. I am so pleased to welcome Zareen Sheaf, Dr. Zareen Sheaf, to talk to us today. So Zareen, welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. Let's start with a personal question. Why the big change from clinical medicine to prevention? What I'm noticing is that 
a lot of what I see is preventable. A lot of what I see is related to lifestyle. A lot of a lot of what I see can be dealt with with just dealing with primary prevention. And so I've it kind of goes back to my PhD in looking at sleep, which then got me thinking about looking at lifestyle and cardiology as a way to tackle prevent and treat heart disease. So my focus and passion now are just looking at this, looking at prevention, looking at primary prevention. And I will be going forward with um, a business, Lifestyle Cardiology, which will focus primarily on this. That sounds amazingly exciting. Today, we are talking about cardiac and all things health. So let's get some of the kind of dry and scary stuff out of the way. And can you tell us some statistics? How does cardiac disease affect us as a population? Cardiac disease is phenomenally important. Worldwide, it's the leading cause of death, which is unbelievable, really. Just simply looking at the UK, about 7 million people are living with heart disease. It causes a quarter of all deaths. That's one death every three minutes. Worldwide, it's actually estimated that it's slightly more. It's 31% of all deaths. So the scale of the problem is huge. And when we say heart disease, is mm -hmm. that everything like angina and and heart attacks? That's what people are dying from. Yeah, technically, it's cardiovascular disease, which encompasses a, a broad variety of conditions. But the main one, the main culprit is uh, coronary artery disease and and heart attacks. So it's heart attacks that make up 85% of this statistic. Wow, that is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The key point is that it's a massive problem. What we have seen is that, particularly in the UK, that actually the death rate is falling which is brilliant. We're, we're, you know, we've got wonderful new treatments. We've got amazing things that we can do in theatres, saving people with stents. However, the number of people with heart disease itself and the morbidity from it is going up. And so what we're the- doing is tackling the acute problem very well, but we're not necessarily tackling the chronic problem, which is where we need to now start investing time and where we need to invest more time is prevention. Yes, I'm totally with you there, totally with you there. What is the youngest that you have seen someone who has come in to the NHS with lifestyle-related heart disease? Because as a paediatric doctor, I know that kids have different reasons for heart disease. But what's the youngest that you've seen that someone's actually had a problem due to their lifestyle? It's quite scary. I've seen people very young, um, but that's uh, through the use of cocaine. So I've seen people as young as 16, 17, 18 having massive heart attacks because of cocaine. Now, luckily, they're few and far between. I've seen actually a scary amount of young people coming in. Um, and sadly, the, the number of young people coming in with massive heart attacks is getting more and more frequent. Only last month, someone came into my hospital with a massive heart attack, and they were 25 years old. And if you looked, but at that wasn't related why, to that. Sorry, that wasn't related to cocaine. That was due to poor lifestyle choices, and that was due to poor lifestyle choices. That is so. Amazing. What so we're now 25 seeing, 25 years yeah. old. Yep, 
25 years old. This 25-year-old was, he had lots, he, he had lots of risk factors. He had a sedentary lifestyle. He didn't exercise. He was very stressed. He smoked. And so when you put that all together, that just creates the right conditions coupled with a genetic predisposition for coming in with something like a heart attack. And sadly, I'm seeing more and more people of a younger and younger age. And to me, the tragedy is that it's preventable. That, you know, if, and the people don't know, I think the reality is. I think, for example, if you talk about smoking, everybody knows that smoking's bad for you. But I think people really don't have this message that the way we lead our life can either help us live for a really long time and be super healthy or not. And obviously there are genetics and certain things that you can't change, but in broad strokes, that's what we've got. Yeah. I mean, heart disease encompasses a wide variety of conditions and some of them are genetic, some of them are congenital, and there really isn't much we can prevent there from a lifestyle perspective Um, and they definitely need to be tackled in their own way but the vast majority of what I see high blood pressure heart disease some of the cardiac arrhythmias they're all preventable through lifestyle measures. Now we are going to talk about those lifestyle measures in a moment but before that you wanted to talk about females and how they often get diagnosed later so can you tell us a little bit about that please? The traditional image of someone having a heart attack is a middle-aged man who smokes, is diabetic, who's overweight, and you don't normally think of a female in that role. But sadly, women are very affected by heart disease. They have heart attack, and in, in the UK, a staggering amount die from heart attacks each year, nearly 30,000 each year um, of the deaths from heart attacks of women. And actually, coronary heart disease kills more than twice as many women in the UK as breast cancer. So that's a staggering statistic. And what women have, which differs slightly from men, is that we get very atypical symptoms. So when we come into hospital, we don't classically have that crushing central chest pain that, that we we that's associated with a heart attack. And so often we, we're not diagnosed correctly. Um, and there was a really interesting study uh, by a group in Leeds who looked at uh, audit data from the UK. Um, and what they found was that if you're female, you're more likely to have an initial diagnosis, which is different from the final diagnosis of a heart attack. And now when we're talking about heart attacks, minutes do matter. Because if you're having a big heart attack, often the time between diagnosis and treatment, the time between the symptoms and the treatment is key because that the time that you're having a heart attack will affect the amount of cardiac muscle that gets damaged. So the longer you the longer time you, it takes before you get treatment, the more heart muscle is damaged and therefore the more consequences of that, the more heart dysfunction you get. And so it is a key f- issue. It's something that is being tackled, but we certainly do need to put more work into this. So when you talk about atypical symptoms, are there obvious atypical symptoms? Does that make sense? Is there something that people can look out for or are they just so random that there is nothing unifying them 
sometimes people get indigestion. Sometimes people get a chest pain which is sharp and not tight. Sometimes people get very breathless and sweaty with it and the pain kind of comes in the back. It's, it, it's a variety of things that lead to it. And also that coupled with, you know, our classical perception of the typical person that comes in with a heart attack leads to this staggering number of people who just don't get the right diagnosis in time. Wow, that is staggering and definitely food for thought. I think what the general public need is the step before that. So let's dive in and talk about all those amazing things that we can do to stop us from heading down this path of heart disease in the first place? There are a number of key areas, and I I can mention them all now, and then we can talk about them in turn. But essentially, number one is nutrition. So nutrition, we've always known that diet affects uh, health, general health, but it is a key factor in preventing cardiac disease. Uh, the second is exercise. So movement is extremely important and sedent- a sedentary lifestyle is associated with more heart attacks. The third is stress. So it's not traditionally talked about, but it's a key factor. It's a key factor. And I'm seeing more and more people with stress related heart issues. Um, and certainly with our modern busy lifestyles, it's on the rise. Sleep. Sleep is the fourth thing. So I would say that good sleep is essential. Um, and we can talk about that in a bit more detail. And then relaxation meditation sort of ties into sleep. So if you're not getting enough relaxation, if you're not unwinding, uh, then you are more stressed and you don't sleep as well. So it's linked to everything else, but it, it is worth mentioning in isolation as well. The next one is quite interesting. The next one is, is, is community. So we are social creatures. We're born to live in communities. We're born to, in, born to interact. We always hunted in packs. And what we're finding now is that social isolation is a risk factor for many diseases, but one of them is heart disease. And then one of the others is smoking, but we have all heard about the dangers of smoking. Um, so I'm not going to focus on that too much because it's interesting to talk about all the others. Yes, absolutely. I, Within my podcast, I generally don't talk about smoking because I think they kind of cover it on the cigarette packets that say smoking mm. kills. And I think that just sums it up and we don't really need to start anymore. Yeah. What, I, what I do find really interesting and what I am totally loving about this podcast and getting other experts in. So I've had one on cancer and just different areas thinking about it, diabetes. And you know what? The answers are always the same, which is really super good for us because these are the areas that we need to focus on to reduce our diabetes, to reduce our risk of cancer, to reduce our risk of heart disease and to feel amazing. So it's kind of not rocket science. It's we just actually need to do it. Oh, Olina, you're totally right. I mean, I think these lifestyle measures, they relate to so many other conditions, not just heart disease. And so that is an important message to give people. It's quite empowering, actually, to think that we're not just talking about one system. But coming back to nutrition, you know, as we mentioned, it's beneficial not only for heart health, but health in general. And what I'm finding is that there are so many confusing and conflicting messages out there. It's so hard to make sense of everything. Even experts in the area of nutrition differ. And so we as a general 
public? How are we supposed to know how to sort of tease out all the main messages? And the important thing, there are some main messages. Now, if you're if you have a certain diet or it, because of ethical or moral issues, then firstly that has to be respected. And you know, the important thing is is that any diet can have these key um, common links which make it very healthy and very heart healthy. One of the important things to mention is that actually cardiovascular disease, the main reason we get it is because of something called inflammation. So it is an inflammatory condition. Okay. Now, there are lots of reasons for this. And what we can do with our nutrition, with our diet and with our lifestyle is help to reduce it. And there are certain anti-inflammatory diets or rules that we can work with that can help us to reduce this inflammation and help us to reduce the risk of having a heart attack, having heart disease. So one of the key things um, is to eliminate processed and sugary food. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have the odd treat. Obviously, that will make you even, you know, you've got to live. Um, uh, but a diet that's very high in processed food and excess sugar will cause inflammation. It will stimulate all those pathways that will lead to furring up of the arteries of the heart. And even prior to that, you know, you'll feel bad, you'll feel you know, you'll feel sluggish, you'll get brain fog, you won't act as fast, you won't think as fast. So I would say that one of the key things is to eliminate all processed and sugary food that is high in trans fat. Excess sugar leads to insulin spikes, high insulin, which is the hormone that uh, it deals with with glucose. Excess insulin is also linked to inflammation via many pathways. And so if you eliminate processed and sugary food as much as possible, then you're, you're pretty much halfway there. Next is to have a whole food diet. And essentially, that's just to have a diet of minimally processed food. So fruits, veg, legumes, nuts, seeds, you know, when it comes to whole grain, whole grain, so whole grain rice, quinoa, you know, my try and subs- My favorite hmm? are things like spelt and bulgar wheat and pearl Absolutely. barley. One of the things I find really amazing is that they're actually really easy to cook. I think we have this really mm. long idea, this strange idea that we have to soak everything, and but a lot of them we don't have to. We can just cook them. And if you have to soak something overnight, it's not really that big of a deal, is it? No, absolutely. And it, it tastes really good. Yeah. It exactly. tastes really good and, you know, you can make really delicious recipes. If you're not that much of a cook, then there are hundreds of cookbooks out there oh, you which will give you beautiful just, recipes. Just scatter some olive oil on it. This is what I do in the Mediterranean. Absolutely. Just take something. We'll Absolutely. talk about olive oil in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so the things that are in oh, – sorry, we're going to reduce sugar and refined and um, packaged foods and we're yes. going to eat whole grains yeah. and fruits the, and vegetables. Absolutely. Yes. And the next thing I would say is fiber. Fiber is really very important. Now, we in the West don't eat enough fiber. Now, interestingly, very recently, there was a review that was commissioned by the World Health Organization. It's a group in New Zealand that performed this study. And actually, what they did was look at hundreds of studies 
Um, and, you know, that equates to loads of people within them. What they found was that the more fiber you ate, that the number of your, your chance of dying full stop reduced. Um, so you, the total number of deaths decreased as fiber intake went up. And specifically, what also reduced was your incidence of coronary heart disease, of type 2 diabetes, of colorectal cancer. So fiber is extremely beneficial. Um, it's, it's, it's very protective. And we, we should try and increase our intake of that, not only for heart disease, but for various other, 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 other things. And, you know, we, we've got lots of sources of fiber, bran, fruit such as bananas and apples you know actually a baked potato has quite a lot of fiber has four grams of fiber you know if you're having pasta switch to whole meal uh, if you're having bread switch to whole grain you, you can increase your fiber in small ways but definitely increasing is is, is a good idea pulses lentils lentils contain vast amounts of fiber and chickpeas so, chickpeas are my favorite yes, one of my favorites yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So can I ask you, was this study, did they tell you exactly how much fibre we should be eating on a daily basis? So what we should be aiming for is roughly 30 grams of fibre. Now, we in a Western diet eat about a third of that, I would say. Um, So we should be aiming to triple it. Um, And certainly the foods that we described just now can help. Just use it, incorporate it into your everyday life. Um, It will help in in lots of different ways. I think I might need to do a podcast with some recipes on it to help people. And I know I asked asked you this specific question before we came on. What about oats? Because oats always say they're really good for you. But I think we might just have answered this question because I looked up on oats before we came, how much fiber they have. And they are about 10% fiber. So I guess, yeah, Yeah. there you go. They have lots of fiber in them. Yeah. And oats specifically contain a soluble fiber and that's called uh, called beta glucan. So the important thing about this is actually it's been clinically proven that it reduces cholesterol in the gut. Cholesterol being, well, we could potentially go down a bit of a rabbit hole with cholesterol, but cholesterol is a, a key traditional risk factor for heart disease. Um, and what beta glucan and oats do binds the cholesterol in the gut and eliminates them it carries it to the bowel for excretion so it prevents it being reabsorbed back into the bloodstream so i am sticking with my breakfast of porridge basically yes. every single day i would like more variety but my children are very resistant to variety yeah so yeah <laughs> we're going with easy at the moment okay yeah. so do we have anything else on the nutritional yes or no list yes so i think Uh, With regards to plants, they're massively rich in phytochemicals. So try and have a plant-based diet. Eat the rainbow. I've heard that mentioned a lot of times, but it's very good advice. I love that (laughs) advice. Yes. And by that, I mean just plants that are different colors because they're all so rich in anti-inflammatory phytochemicals and flavonoids. You don't need to get too hung up on 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 the terms, but just know that if you're eating a lot of color, then those... Uh, foods are so nutritionally dense that you're doing your 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 general health a massive favor so eat the rainbow we can't really not talk about omega-3s um omega-3s are 
profoundly anti-inflammatory um, and they're found in fatty fish uh, it, walnuts one thing that I would say is that if you are vegan it might well be worth taking a supplement um, derived from fish algae just because omega-3s are so protective and you might not get them from even the best vegan diet so I would say and did you want to talk about omega-6 as well because um, there is this issue with your ratio mm, of omega-3 to omega-6 yes you talk about that Yes, absolutely. The first thing to say are omega three and omega six. They're they're you know they're fatty acids. They're polyunsaturated fatty acids, and they're vital to the body. Okay, they and they must come from the diet because we cannot make them. When it comes to omega six, we only need a tiny amount. Okay, so once we've taken in the amount of omega six we need the body can't handle the rest. And so it diverts it to different pathways. And the different pathways that it shunts it down are very pro-inflammatory. Okay. So that's why with, when it comes to omega-6, you do need it. It's vital. You need it in small amounts. Um, when you exceed that, then it goes down as different pathway. Now, omega-3, on the other hand, is very potently anti-inflammatory. Now, there are three main types. We don't necessarily have to go into it, but just know that omega-3 is very potently anti-inflammatory. Omega-6, you need a small amount, but above that, it promotes inflammation. Okay. Very, thank you for explaining it that way. And I think that's amazing. And it's very, very clear because I've sometimes been confused about that. But just to clarify, where... When would we be getting too much omega-6? What would we be eating yeah. that would give us too much omega-6? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we we consume staggering amounts of omega-6. You know, if we're eating a healthy, nutritionally balanced diet, we get enough omega-6. So you do not need to worry about omega-6 deficiency. What we need to worry about is omega-6 excess. And what we find a lot of omega-6 in is vegetable oils. So these are your sunflower oils, your vegetable oils. Vegetable oils are packed full of omega-6. Now, traditionally, we were told, you know, we should be switching to these uh, vegetable oils, margarines, they're heart healthy. But actually, what we found, what we found is that they have staggering amounts of omega-6 in it. So, if you want to reduce your amount of omega-6, avoid vegetable oils, okay? They're pure omega-6. I think this in, leads us in nicely to talk about which oils should we use? <laughs> yes. Now, this is a very contentious issue. So what I would say is um, it's, it's always very difficult. Now, olive oil has been shown, and it has been shown in trials such as PREDIMED to be beneficial to heart health, to cardiac health, to cardiovascular health, should I say. So just a quick note about the PREDIMED study. The PREDIMED study was a study that was done, funded by the Spanish government, and they looked at 7,000, over 7,000 obese Spanish people, and they divided them into three sections. So the first section was what was called considered the control section, and that section ate a low-fat diet. And the next two sections were both given a Mediterranean-style diet to eat, and one of those sections was given extra olive oil to eat, and the other one was given extra nuts to eat. Now, if you want to know more about the PREDIMED study and the Mediterranean-style diet, podcast episode number one is all about the health benefits of the Mediterranean-style diet. PREDIMED was, was an important trial. Um, it was uh, 
it's very, very, very hard to do nutritional trials um, just because it's very difficult to, you know, control for diet. It's difficult to get people con- complying with it. Um, and even harder is to do a randomized trial where you randomize people to one one sort of intervention or another. Um, so that's what they actually achieved. They achieved a randomized trial. Um, and what they found was that the group that consumed a Mediterranean diet, so an intake of olive oil, fruits, nuts, vegetables and cereals being high, you know, they had a moderate intake of things like fish and poultry and a low intake of red meat, processed meat, sweets, dairy products, that that diet, when combined with olive oil or with nuts, was protective over and above the, you know, low fat diet that has been promoted. Now, there has been some controversy with ReadyMed because their authors had to retract their conclusions because of problems with this randomization process um, they then reanalyzed all the data and found essentially the same thing some people would argue that actually the message is weaker but what I would say is that actually they did find essentially the same thing that a diet that's high in olive oil fruits nuts vegetables is good for you so that is the message to take away and this might be a difficult question to answer. Does it have to be extra virgin olive oil or can it be a lesser grade of olive oil? Are there yeah. other studies out there that talk about that? Yeah, and I think that is a difficult one to, to, to talk about because uh, certainly from my understanding is that, you know, you can have all sorts of different types of, of, of olive oil. Um, one uh, one thing I was actually advised uh, when I asked a similar question was look on the packet. So if you have an olive oil that comes from one country, then generally it is of a better quality. It's, uh, and it's been whereas if you have an olive oil that's come from lots of different countries, then it's slightly more processed. It might have lost all that goodness. Um uh, I personally don't know more about this issue to be able to give any valuable advice. I have to say, um, needless to say, that I think that if you're if you if you're having olive oil that's mainly from one country, as organic as you can you can find it, then you're you're doing yourself a a, a, a heart healthy service. I think olive oil is something that I find really interesting. I think I need to find somebody to come on and clarify all my questions about yes, olive yes, oil. Yes. Okay, yes. so is there anything else that you would like to tell us about omega-3 and omega-6 and fats yes. and oils in general? Yeah. So the other thing that I, was, I said, vegetable oils contain a lot of omega-6. The other things quickly I will say is that the other things that contain a lot of omega-6 are your processed foods. So if you're eating a diet high, of, high in processed foods, you're eating a lot of omega-6. And and that way you're putting your ratio in the wrong way. You want to have yes. omega-3. So by eating processed yeah. foods, you're actually changing yeah. your um, fats as well, your good fats. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You're skewing your... So your, your amount of omega-3 needs to outweigh your omega-6. And am I right in thinking that olive oil contains omega-3? Yeah, it c- contains some omega-3. It also contains um, omega-9, which uh, has very little kind of uh, influence on the omega-3 and 6 ratio. 
And th- but does omega nine do anything good for us, or is it just we don't know yet? Well, the trials have shown that actually, you know, it is protective. So I don't know the actual biochemistry, but I would say that if you're having olive oil with a whole food, healthy diet, then that is one of the best oils to stick to. I have to say as well, thinking, and I, the second podcast I did, I did all on the Mediterranean style diet and this pretty med study because mm. it's one that I think is easy and I like it. But one thing that really surprises me is the amount of olive oil that they used. And I think the people who had the extra olive oil, they were using four tablespoons of olive oil a day. And that's actually quite a lot. Now that's mm. included in all the food that they're cooking. And in Spain, people will use it instead of butter. So they'll use it on bread instead of butter. Mm. But it's still, I think, I, I do think that partly reflects that I grew up in the low fat era. And although I never ate low fat, I still have this, oh, that's quite a lot of olive oil. But I now enjoy <laughs> quite a lot of olive oil and think it's fabulous. Um, coconut oil. What are your thoughts on coconut oil? Another contentious issue, and you'll find people on both sides of the argument. I have to say, I cook with coconut oil. I love it. You know, the reason why people say that coconut oil is um, not necessarily the best oil for you is because it's very rich in saturated fat. Now, saturated fat also has a lot of controversy behind it. Traditionally, it's thought to increase cholesterol, hence the risk of heart disease, There are some studies that would go against this. In fact, there was a big trial called the PURE trial, which looked at a number of different countries. Um, It was a massive, large epidemiological trial. And it showed that actually if you had saturated fat, then it was protective. Um, You had an inverse relationship with mortality especially mortality associated with cardiovascular disease. Now, there are lots of ins and outs of the PURE trial, but, you know, that has got a lot of people talking and thinking and debating the pros and cons of saturated fat. And there are lots of people that can say that actually eating saturated fat has negligible effect on your cardiovascular health. What I would say is that, you know, if you're eating a little bit of coconut oil with a whole food diet, coming back to that whole food, healthy, minimally processed diet, then actually probably going to be okay. Whereas if you're eating coconut oil with processed food, if you're eating it with, you know, a massive bowl of pasta with loads of unhealthy additives, then, you know, you're you're probably not going to be okay. So I would say that it's probably wise to take a sensible approach to it. I use a lot of coconut oil. I love it. I'm not scared by the saturated fat. I can see why some people are. Um, The other reason why coconut, I I prefer coconut oil is because all oils have smoke points. Um, And this is a temperature at which fatty acids start to break down. The greater the smoke smoke point, the greater the stability. And olive oil has a low smoke point. So generally, it's not advised that we should cook with it. But coconut oil has a higher smoke point. So it's it's slightly better. Do you know what that smoke point is in olive oil? Because I always thought it was Mm. lower but not Mm. so low that we'll reach it when we're cooking with it. Mm. Now, I... My understanding is that you can actually... If you you are frying foods, then you could potentially reach it. Um, But, again... Um, I couldn't give you an exact figure for the for the smoke point of olive oil. No, I'm going to interrupt this interview 
just to do a little side note on olive oils. So after I recorded this, I went and did some investigation on the smoke points of oils so I can clear up this. Now, if we go to Wikipedia, they have different smoke points. They have about four or five different smoke points for olive oil and a couple for coconut oil. And these are taken from various um, journals around the internet. So if we look at extra virgin olive oil, there is a smoke point between 160 and 190 degrees centigrade. So there are two different ones. One says 160 and one says 190. And that equates to 320 to 374 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, there is also another one which talks about a high quality, low acidity extra virgin olive oil. And that has a smoke point of 207 degrees centigrade, which is 405 degrees Fahrenheit. And I think that that level is fine for domestic cooking. I would say you're not going to get above 200. A hot oven is 200 degrees C, which I guess is around 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, it also goes on and says that there are other levels. So extra virgin is the first press. And after that, you have a virgin and then what we in Spain would call suave. And as you get to those lower grades, actually the smoke point becomes higher. And what I would advise people to do is to have extra virgin olive oil for your salads, partly because it's expensive and it has a beautiful taste and you lose that taste when you cook. And you don't have to get it up to the smoke point to lose the taste, but you do lose the taste just by heating it. But also you have this added benefit that um, the lower grades have a higher cooking point. We can also see the same thing in coconut oil. So if we look at coconut oil, actually the smoke point isn't that different if you're using virgin pressed coconut oil. And it says that coconut oil, unrefined, pressed, virgin, the smoke point is 177 degrees C, which is 350 degrees Fahrenheit. However, if you have a more refined or dry coconut oil, that smoke point goes up to 232 degrees C, which is 450 degrees Fahrenheit. So smoke points are not an easy topic to think about. As far as olive oil goes, which is what I use, so I know about it, extra virgin for salads and a more um a secondary press, so a suave for cooking with. I think the other thing about coconut oil is it is amazingly delicious. Well, olive oil is as well. It is delicious. (laughs) They're both delicious. (laughs) Coconut oil is almost like eating pudding and sweets, I think. I like to add it to my breakfast cereal and add a block of it. It's lovely. with coconut oil. It is delicious. (laughs) What about gluten? Going back to when you said it is an inflammatory process. And there's lots of books and saying that eating gluten can lead to an inflammatory process, which people are now beginning to think accounts for Alzheimer's and things like that. I mean, I don't know what you think about those thoughts Mm. and whether that has any correlation with heart disease or not. Heart disease. Now, very interestingly, um, I there hasn't been a lot of research on gluten with heart disease. There's been a lot of research on gluten with inflammatory conditions such as your inflammatory arthritis. Your uh, there's been a lot of um, research with regards to bowel disease, but not so much about heart disease. So. There's, there's not a lot that I can comment on in relationship to heart disease. 
we are getting my friend Ash, who is a mutual friend, who is going to come and talk to yes. us about gluten. So we will have to wait and see what Ash tells us about gluten. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay, so have we basically covered nutrition? And can I sum it up like this? Eat vegetables and fruit and whole grains. Um, oils to use are essentially olive oil and coconut oil. And steer away from packaged foods, particularly trans fatty acids. Is that, Absolutely. Is that it in a nutshell? In a nutshell, stay away from processed food, sugary food, eat a whole food diet that's high in fiber, eat the rainbow, and don't forget your omega-3s. Yes, and nuts. Talking about nutshell, nuts and seeds are also beneficial. Absolutely. Not the old, they are too fat, out with the nuts. I love nuts. They are the most amazing, easy snack that you... (laughs) Oh, they're amazing. Get a handful of nuts. So there we have it. In a nutshell, everything you need to know to avoid getting heart disease through diet. Now, after we recorded this podcast, I realized we hadn't talked about alcohol. And alcohol is a slightly controversial area, and I think it is worth mentioning. So Zarin sent me a note, and this is what she said. I'm just going to read it out. She said, alcohol excess is definitely detrimental to the heart. It promotes elevated blood pressure, which is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It can directly damage the heart muscle, causing heart failure. It could also promote heart rhythm disturbances. She goes on to say that there is data suggest that drinking a small amount of alcohol within recommended guidelines is associated with lower rates of cardiovascular disease. The exact mechanism is unclear. Red wine has been extensively studied as it contains important antioxidants and it is thought that this has a part to play. And I would say reference the podcast number two that I did, which is on the PREDIMED study, which brings up this question of alcohol. Now, Zarin concludes by saying the important message is that alcohol as part of a healthy whole food, minimally processed diet and good lifestyle may offer some protection. However, if you do abstain from alcohol, then there is certainly no need to start drinking to protect your heart. There are other much better ways to achieve the same outcome as discussed in the podcast. Zarin is coming back next week to talk to us about lifestyle and what we can do to improve our lifestyle and avoid heart disease. So another really exciting podcast that I recommend you tune in for. Now, if you would like to find out more about Zarin and the work that she does, she's based in London and she will be opening an amazing clinic of some sorts. I'm not sure that she knows and I definitely don't know, but she has a website called Lifestyle Cardiology. At this very, very moment of recording this podcast, it isn't up and ready to go, but it will be soon. And in the meantime, you can follow her on Twitter and I've left links in both for both of these in the show notes. Her Twitter handle is Dr. Zarin Shaikh. And I'm going to spell her surname. So Zarin is Z-A-R-R-I-N and her surname S-H-A-I-K-H. So make sure you follow along and see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for the new me challenge. Dig out those I can't do it thoughts and replace them with, wow, this is easy and fun. You can sign up at drlina.com slash new me. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new dash in the middle me. Have a lovely week and see you next week. Goodbye.